Well, good morning. Thank you for being here. My name's Joe, and I get to lead our high school and young adult ministries here at the chapel. A special welcome to you if you are a guest with us for the first time. Uh, happy Mother's Day to the mothers out there. And uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about miracles. And I don't know, I don't want to age anybody here, but does anybody remember this? The, when the actual event, miracle, raise your hand if you remember the actual miracle. Okay, thank you. You just... All right, we have a seniors lunch and we want to let you know about, I'm kidding. <laughs> the famous line from that was from the great theologian Al Michaels, do you believe in miracles, right? And uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today, but I want to ask you a question. Do you actually believe in miracles? Like, do you really think that could happen? And I think that the word miracle has kind of lost some of its value because we'll call anything a miracle, right? Like, miracle grow? It's just fertilizer. I mean, it's good, but I don't know if it's a miracle, right? Or miracle whip. I mean, unless there's a guy like turning jars of water into miracle whip, I don't know if that's a miracle, right? And even if it is, you still shouldn't eat it because it's disgusting, okay? And if you like miracle whip, we would like to pray for you after the service so you can repent from that. <laughs> But I do want to tell you about a real miracle. Uh, I want to tell you a story about a girl. Um, and this girl, when she was a baby, uh, there were some complications during, uh, during, the, during the childbirth. And, uh, you know, as she grew, um, you know, got to some certain milestones where babies would begin to crawl and begin to walk and, and those types of things. And, and she just wasn't hitting any of those milestones, right? It didn't seem like she would stand up, she wouldn't support herself, wouldn't, wouldn't do things that, that babies normally start to do, right? So her parents were obviously concerned. They started going to some doctor's appointments. They did some tests. And, uh, <laughs> excuse me, the doctor came back with the unfortunate diagnosis that this was cerebral palsy. Right? And that this, this girl would probably never have a normal life. She probably wouldn't walk correctly if she could walk at all. Um, there could potentially be some, some learning disabilities, some cognitive disabilities as well. And so obviously her parents were very upset, but they, they came to terms with it and they realized they had to do what they had to do. So they started going through physical therapy trying to help strengthen her legs, but there was just, there was nothing, right? She, she wouldn't crawl. She had to army crawl, and she would just drag her legs, would not stand up, wouldn't do any of these things. Well, they didn't know this, but the girl's grandfather, her papa, uh, who was a follower of Jesus, committed himself to prayer and fasting in hopes that God would perform a miracle in this girl's life. And she was about two years old, and her dad was going, was, you know, doing some physical therapy with her, trying to help her um, and he, one night before he's getting ready to go to work, and out of nowhere, she starts walking. Yeah, it was incredible. And her mom got on the phone with the family, and they called her papa, and as soon as he heard this, he started yelling, praise God, praise God, and he told them that he had been fasting and praying that God would perform a miracle. And so she, she learned to walk. She never had any developmental disabilities. In fact, she grew up to become extremely smart. She runs the financial department in her company. She's been an incredible wife, an incredible mom, an incredible stepmom. It's my wife, Marlena. Yeah. 
And some of you are like, no, the miracle is that you got to marry her, <laughs> right? I agree. And, and I tread lightly here because some of you might be here and be like, well, that's great, but like, where's my miracle, right? Maybe you're still struggling. You've been praying and you've been fasting and you've been doing all these things. And, you know, I don't want to say that, oh, this is the formula. Just get your grandfather to do these things and it's going to happen, right? So I don't know why and I don't have an answer for you, <clears throat> but I know that God has recorded miracles in, in his word and I have witnessed miracles in my life because, because they're real and, they use, and God uses those things to point to him. And so I want to share about those today. And, and even if you're struggling and you are still waiting for your miracle, I want to address that too in a few minutes. But before we get into that, I want to talk about what a miracle is. Because again, I think we've kind of watered down the definition of it. But Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology says this, although English speakers regularly use miracle to refer to a broad range of wondrous events, the biblical concept is limited to those not explainable solely by natural processes, but which require the direct causal agency of a supernatural being, usually God, right? So when Al Michaels uses that term miracle, I don't think he actually believed that God intervened to cause the U.S. team to, to beat the, the Soviets in, in, in that hockey game. However, when the Browns win a Super Bowl, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that was divine intervention, right? You're like, I just hope it happens before Jesus comes back. Me too, right? So miracles are a struggle for some, right? Because maybe you're, you're just like, I just don't believe in it. Or maybe you're like, maybe you're a naturalist or an empiricist and you think that, hey, all there is is the natural world, right? Everything in the observable universe, that's what it is. There is no room in your worldview for miracles, right? If, if, you, think, if you think that, then miracles don't line up with your worldview uh, because it's not what you experience. However, from... And you may think of like Marlena's story, and you might say, hey, coincidence or misdiagnosis or a million different things, right? You could explain that away. But from the beginning of creation, God's word makes it clear that not only is there a God, but there is this God supernaturally involves himself in our world. And if there's a God who is involved in our world our, and, and in our lives, then miracles are not only rational and possible, but they're likely. And I would say that they, they're, they're necessary, now, I understand that there are some in here who find it hard to believe in God, let alone that he bends the laws of natures. And so, again, if that's you, maybe something happens, you can't explain it, then that's a coincidence, right? But, but what if Albert Einstein was right when he said, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous? Because, you see, I'm convinced that the account that we are about to read is going to challenge your thinking. Only can miracles happen, but the, of the miraculous. And, and to help you to think that not only can miracles happen, but they actually have to happen. So, do you believe in miracles? Let's find out. We're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 3. And we're in this series right now on the book of Acts. And so we're going to have the text on the screen. But if you want to open your Bibles, if you brought one with you, or if you have the version app on your phone, we're going to be in Acts 3. And in this series, we are reading through the book of Acts together. And the reading plan that we're using is available on the chapel website. It's available on the app. It's also in the worship program if you grabbed one of those on your way in this morning. And um, also, too, on Wednesdays, uh, we're going to be releasing a video where one of our pastors is going to go more into depth on the, on the passages that we're talking about, more than what we can do today. So please check that out. But open your Bibles to Acts 3, verse 1. It says this. It says this. 
Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth, and this meant he couldn't walk, not that he just wasn't cool. Uh, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. So as Peter and John are headed to pray, they meet this man who has never walked his entire life, right? And because of his physical condition, he can't work. So his family or his friends carry him to the temple to beg for money. So here's a picture of what the temple would look like. And he was placed outside of the, the beautiful gate right there. And it was called that because it was covered with silver and gold. So here, this guy is hoping that the people going into worship at the temple would be moved to give him something, anything, just so he could survive. And I, I get this, and I understand it a little bit, and here's why. Because I think what would happen in this situation, and what happens today, is you see this person on the, on the ground, wherever he's sitting, and you start to make assumptions about why he's there, and maybe even start to put some blame on himself. Uh, a few years ago, there was this family. It was a guy and a, and a lady pushing a stroller down 250, right? And I ended up giving them a ride because they needed a ride. And as I got to talking to him, I realized the guy didn't have a place to stay that night. He was, he was just going to sleep out on the street. And so I just felt like God saying, hey, you got to help this guy out. So I said, that's fine. You can stay with me and I'll give you some clothes or some money and some food or whatever. I could tell that he was desperate for help, just like the beggar in this story. And in that moment, I just felt like God was calling me to help him out. Now, before you think that I'm some kind of saint, all right, I'll be honest with you and I say that I judged this guy for being homeless, right? Uh, I didn't trust him. In fact, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I hid all the knives, like my kitchen knives in my apartment because I was like, I don't know anything about this guy. Like, what if he tries to harm me or something? And I locked my door. And I made assumptions as to how he got to where he was. But I think that most of us do that if we're honest, right? We think to ourselves, man, I, I just never, I could never end up like that person, right? Or we think that they're lazy because they're not working, or you just automatically assume that they have some type of addiction problem. But this guy wasn't any of those. Un, unforeseen circumstances had culminated into leading him to be in that situation that day. You know, he wasn't from here. He was trying to travel somewhere. He was in a bad situation. He had some mental health problems. And, you know, like this guy, we seem to think like, hey, homeless people, they just need to get it together, right? Just get a job. Just, but like, what if they can't get a job? What if they don't have an address to put on an application? What if they don't have transportation to get to and from work? What if they don't have clothes that are even suitable for an interview or for work? And we feel this way when we think that we have earned our place, right? That's, that's the American way, right? We pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps. We achieved everything. And yet James, who was Jesus' brother, says this in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 17. He says, whatever is, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. You see, contrary to that American belief, everything good in our life, in my life, in your life, is a gift. You can't take another breath unless God wills it. You know, your ability to work your physical capabilities, your ambition, the transportation that you have, your education, the fact that you were born in this country, everything that you have is a gift, even your desire to work. And so you and I stand on no ground, absolutely no ground whatsoever, to think that we are better than even the lowest beggar on the street. 
And I quickly learned that this guy was just doing the best with what he had, just like this man in the book of Acts, chapter 3. You see, this, he's not just a homeless man. He has a name. He has a story. And he's doing the best what he can, and he's desperate for help. He needs help. He needs a miracle. And this man, when he sees Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them, eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And so at first, this man's probably going to be pretty discouraged because, you know, he's like, well, okay, they don't have any money, right? But this guy needs something that money could not buy him. It goes on, then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. Now, what's incredible about this part of the, the account is instead of giving him money, which would only prolong his suffering, right, instead of, instead of just giving him a handout because he would have just needed more, they gave him the ability to be better, and this man walks for the first time in his life, and he can go anywhere that he wants. And what does he do? He runs into the temple. He's running into the temple to show his gratitude and his worship of the one who supernaturally bends the laws of nature and changes his life forever. So the people in the temple, it says, when they realized he was the lame beggar they had, they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. So to stay, say that this crowd was astonished is an understatement. However, though they were amazed with what happened, they didn't really understand why this miracle happened in the first place. What was the purpose of it? So Peter takes this opportunity to tell the crowds about who is behind this. He says, Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murder. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. So the greatest miracle, what Peter is saying here, wasn't Jesus physically healing this man. He says, no, the greatest miracle was seen on the cross and in the resurrection proving once and for all that God would do whatever it takes to spiritually heal anyone and everyone. This man's physical healing points to a greater spiritual healing that is available to all people through the reconciliation of God to us through the one source and one source alone, through Jesus himself. I love how uh, author and pastor Tim Keller puts this. He says, we modern people think of miracles as a suspension of the natural order. 
but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. It says Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. Whether it's this account or the countless other miracles we see in Scripture, the point isn't the miracle itself. Rather, they are a sign pointing to something greater, or rather, someone greater. Miracles are imperative. They're necessary because they are the natural result of God pointing us to himself. It points to Jesus, who is bringing in this kingdom that is new and completely opposite to everything that we see in this world and, every, and to give us everything that we've ever longed for. Where there's darkness, Jesus' kingdom promises light. Where there's evil, Jesus' kingdom assures us of his goodness. And where there is death, Jesus' kingdom ushers in, brings in eternal life. And that kingdom is here. And every single one of you are invited to be a part of it. And so I want to share with you two brief observations from, from this part of Acts. The first one is that our greatest needs have been fulfilled in Jesus alone. Do you remember what that guy's response was when he looked at John and Peter and, and then they told him to look at them, them? He says this, the layman looked at them eagerly expecting some money. See, he was expecting money because he thought that's what he needed, right? And, and think about it. If John and Peter had just given him money, that really wouldn't have helped, right? I mean, it would have helped temporarily, but how long would it have lasted? A few hours, a few days, a week, depending on how much they gave him? But he would have needed more, right? Or if he had just healed him and he only, you know, because the man might think that, that maybe his greatest need was to just finally be able to walk. You know, he was probably thinking like, man, if I could just walk, I would be okay. Everything would be okay. I would be fine for the rest of my life. And he probably believed that, but the truth is, is that that's not, that's not reality. Because even walking would have gotten old. No matter what it is in your life, you might think like, man, if only I had this, right? Because we all have if only statements. If only this would happen. If only this would happen. If only I could get to here. Everything would be okay, and it's just not true. Because after a while, what happens when he gets used to it and it still doesn't make him complete, then what? This isn't the only place this happens. In the Gospels, there's, there's a story or an account of, an, of Jesus is teaching at a house, right? And the house is just packed. You can't even get into it. So people are listening through the doors. They're trying to see through the windows. There's a crowd around the house. And these four guys come, and they're carrying their friend on a mat. And this mat is a paralytic, right? He can't walk at all. And they're trying to figure out how to get him to Jesus. They can't even get close to the house. So these, these guys get this bright idea that they're going to go up on top of the house, and they're going to tear up a section of the roof, right? And I don't know what homeowner's insurance policies were like back then, but... I don't know, maybe that's under, covered under an act of God or something. So they tear up part of the roof over where Jesus is staying or standing because they're trying to do anything they can because they know if they just get this guy to Jesus, Jesus can make him walk again. And they lower him through the mat on the floor in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And the guy's probably laying there and be like, hey, that's, that's real nice. Uh, but uh, I don't know if you can tell or not, but my feet don't work. 
right? But you see, because that guy and his friends thought, man, if only he could walk, everything would be okay. But Jesus understood that that wasn't his real problem. He wasn't going deep enough. He didn't understand the depth of his desperation. Because even if he could walk again, that would never make him complete. The thing that would make him complete was reconciliation, forgiveness of his sins, reconciliation, a relationship with God himself. This man, his greatest need wasn't money or physical healing. His greatest need was to discover that there's a God who loves him and wants a relationship with him. And whatever you're going through, your greatest need is the same thing. Which is exactly why after this happens, this man takes his first steps into the temple and praises and worships God. Because spiritually, he is healed. He is reconciled with God through Jesus. We all have those if-only statements, right? If only my scans would come back clean. If only my spouse would come back. If only so and my kids would quit drinking. If only, you can name a million different things, right? But even if God answered that prayer, you would not be, you would not be complete. Because the greatest thing that could happen to, to us on this earth is to have peace even when life is falling apart around us. To have contentment even when there's nothing in our bank account. To be given value living in a world that is constantly tearing us down, to be given forgiveness and redemption, even though we've failed more times than we could possibly count, and to be given life when, honestly, we deserve death. Through the cross and the resurrection, Jesus makes that possible. Jesus supernaturally stepped into our world and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He's the miracle that we've all been waiting for and that's available to us now. The second thing is that you can be the miracle that somebody else is asking for. One of the most beautiful things about this story is found when, when in verse 6. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold to give you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. It was because of Peter and John's faith in Jesus this man not only walks again, but he also discovers Jesus. Who is the person in your life who, from your perspective, they've got everything, but you know that deep down they're begging for more? Who's that person in your life where, you know, they have everything that the world says will make you complete, and you can tell that there is just still emptiness there? Who longs who is in your life who, who's, who's longing to know about the miracle of the cross and the resurrection, but we've been too afraid to tell them, right? Because we don't want to make it awkward, or we don't want to offend them, or we don't want to get in trouble at our job. You see, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, you have what every single person is desperately looking for. Give them what you have so that Jesus can be a miracle worker through you, and you get to be a part of it. And I want to tell you this, that if you're here and you think, hey, that's really great about the man, the man on the mat, the, the beggar, Marlena. But like, what about me? You might say, you know what, I've been fasting, I've been praying for years. And you don't know what's going to happen. I just want to tell you that this, that it, that it can happen. And it also may not. I had a friend who was the best man in my wedding who fasted and pray, prayed fervently for his wife and she still passed away as a young mom. 
I know people right here, right now this morning, who are still waiting, waiting on their miracle. But I want you to know that God uses both healing and suffering to lead us to him. And it won't always be like this. There will be no need for miracles in heaven. Mother Teresa says this quote, in light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth, a life full of the most atrocious tortures on earth will be seen to be no more serious than, a one, night, than one night in an inconvenient hotel. A new day is coming. Your miracle is coming. And I also want you to know that you are not alone, that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is with you. And we as a church are with you as well. And if you want someone to pray for you, I would love to pray for you. Pastor Charles would love to pray for you this morning. And if you have questions about miracles, you know, you, you would say, hey, you know what, I'm just checking this thing, this whole Jesus thing out. My mom made me come here. Or my, you know, my husband made me come. I would love to answer those questions because this is a place where you belong and you can wrestle through those doubts and you can wrestle through those questions and you can ask those questions. So in conclusion, I gotta ask you again, just as L. Michaels did, do you believe in miracles? Because I do, because I've witnessed it, both in, in person and in scripture, and I hope that you do as well. Let me pray for us. Father God, we can't possibly thank you enough for the greatest miracle of all time, God, that you would be willing to humble yourself to come into our world, to give your life on the cross, and the, miracle, and the greatest miracle of all, overcoming death through your resurrection. And so, God, I pray for those in here who are still waiting on healing, still waiting on their miracle, whatever that might be, God, that you would work in their lives, God, that you would show up, that you would bend the laws of nature, and you, you would enter in and fix whatever, their, whatever brokenness they're dealing with. And, God, until that happens, I pray that they would know that you are with them, and we, as the body of Christ, the family of believers, we are with them as well. Thank you for miracles. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you have an incredible Sunday. I would like you all to stop out in the atrium and uh, grab a baby bottle as well. And a happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers out there. And we, we see, we'll see you next Sunday.